This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're wrapping up chapter 27. The story of Christ's death is often rushed through so we can get to the good part, the resurrection. But if we move too quickly, we miss important lessons from these events. Today, for example, we'll stop and watch the process surrounding the burial of Christ. Far from trivial, we see God at work each step of the way. And God means to show us this, if we'll just pay attention. And when we do, we'll witness a God that not only cares about the big stuff, but who also cares about our little insignificant worries and griefs as well. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to study verses 57 through 66. And that text says this, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene, who was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and that last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. All right, church, a lot to unpack here, all revolving around the theme of God's providence behind the scenes here. And I want you to see how God provided for your redemption by orchestrating these events here. First of all, I want you to see God's providence behind the scene through the courage of a true believer. Verses 57 through 58, the first part of the verse. Now, sometime between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., after the death of Christ and before the official start of the Sabbath at sundown, Joseph of Arimathea risked his reputation and perhaps even his own life when he petitioned the governor for the body of Jesus. And the reason we know that is because you remember that the Jewish leaders at the time had no problem bribing people in order to fulfill their own goals. These weren't the most moral people in the world. And this is even more significant when we find out that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, according to Mark in chapter 15, verse 42 of his gospel, he had a lot to lose by identifying with Jesus publicly. Luke describes him as a good and just man who had not consented to the accusation of Jesus and was waiting for the kingdom of God. That's in Luke 23, verses 50 to 51. That's the Bible's way of telling us that Joseph was a true disciple of Christ, a true believer. In fact, John, the gospel writer, adds that he was a secret 
disciple of Jesus, for fear of the Jews. John 19, verse 38. But despite his hesitation to announce his new faith publicly or to come clean and say, I am a disciple of Christ, this man demonstrates fruit of true salvation in that, like Paul, he considered his title and position rubbish compared to the joy of knowing Christ. And whatever things were gained to him, he counted as loss for the sake of his Savior, according to Philippians 3, verse 7. Those are hallmarks of true disciples of Christ, true believers. People who will say, I have Christ, therefore it does not matter what I lose because I have gained everything when I came to faith in Christ. Also, according to Mark, this secret Christian worked up his courage, we're told, to meet with the governor. Chapter 14, verse 43 of the Gospel of Mark. And the reason why he had to work up his courage is because you will remember there was tension already between Pilate and the Sanhedrin. They didn't like each other. These are groups that they weren't allies. Joseph could have faced the wrath of the Roman governor here because remember, he had just, he meaning Pilate, had just been blackmailed by the Jewish leaders and forced to ignore the advice of his own wife. But the point here is that no Roman official would have authorized the removal of a crucified victim before verifying the death of the condemned. And this was for practical reasons, to make sure that the crucified victim really died and wasn't being rescued by his friends. That's the reason why Mark describes what happened next. That's in Mark 15, verses 44 through 45. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. Summoning the centurion, he requested him as to whether he was already dead. In ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Now, church, the reason for that is because Pilate was surprised that Jesus, a young man, a healthy man, in his early to mid-30s, was already dead when the average crucified victim would linger on the cross days and perhaps weeks. So, Pilate was surprised that Jesus died quickly, faster than the average crucified victim. But obviously, Pilate didn't know that Jesus wasn't killed by the crucifixion, that Jesus wasn't killed by the Roman soldier who speared him. He gave his life up to the Father. So Joseph and a guy by the name of Nicodemus went and took Jesus out from the cross. But I want you to see something very important here. They risked not only their popularity, but they risked ceremonial defilement. By touching a dead body, they risked their tradition. Because according to Numbers 19, verses 1 through 13, anyone who touched a dead body, any Jew who touched a dead body, would be ceremonially or religiously defiled for seven days, unable to participate in service. In their case, they would have ruined their Passover celebration because of their love for Christ. So therefore, they risked not only Joseph leading the group here, not only risked the wrath of Pilate, the wrath of his own group, the Sanhedrin, and now he's risking breaking with tradition all in order to honor Christ. Why, church? Because he loved the Savior so much. He understood who he was, even though he didn't understand all of the details of the resurrection, as we will see here in a moment. But he loved his Lord so much that he said, you know what? I don't care if I'm being religiously defiled because I am serving the King of Kings here. Not unlike the religious person who is so attached to tradition, but all of a sudden he hears about the gospel and comes to faith in Jesus Christ and understands the identity of Christ, that he breaks with tradition and says, I do not care if I am anathematized by my group or my family. Not unlike the cult member who realizes he has been deceived in believing a false Christ in all of these years and endures the alienation from his family. That's Joseph. That's the hallmark of a true believer there. 
Therefore, church, I want you to see the obvious lesson. And that is that God's providence through the courage of a true believer shows us the transforming power of the gospel. Someone who has been transformed by the gospel will say, I do not care if the world hates me. I do not care what I risk losing. I am willing to forsake everything because in Jesus I have gained everything. Joseph Healy really understood the words of the Lord. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, verse 25. In church, the same thing applies to all of us. If you are a true believer in Christ, your temporal possessions and positions can never be compared to your most treasured possession, Christ himself, and your new position, meaning in Christ. Once you are in Christ, you can never be taken out of Christ. You can never lose that position. And therefore, you say, I do not care if people are against me, if I lose the favor of the community because I am in Christ. Therefore, like the rich men of Arimathea, you may fear the wrath of the mob like he did, but you forfeit temporal comfort and security to honor your Savior because you understand the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, verse 32, that if you confess him before people, he will confess you before the Father. But I want you to see here, number two, God's providence through the consent of a feeble politician. That's in verse 58, the second half of the verse. Even though Joseph had influence with the governor, I mean, that is obvious from the text here. You don't just knock on the door and say, I I, I need to see the governor. So he had a high position in the Sanhedrin, presumably here. But Pilate had no interest in doing any of them any favors, especially after they had backed him up into a corner and forced him to crucify an innocent man. You remember that story. Pilate tried many times to free Jesus. But providentially, God softened his heart to allow a proper burial to Christ. This is what I want you to see here. God is behind the scenes moving the heart of that pagan governor in order to fulfill prophecy. The prophecy that Jesus would be buried and would raise in three days. There are many of those in the Bible. Jesus, for example, himself told the disciples that his body would not be discarded and that his resurrection would happen on the third day. Listen to Matthew 12, verse 40, the words of Jesus. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And also in John 2, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So we see here, church, how God is working behind the scenes, moving in the heart of people so that they will make the right decisions according to his sovereign plans in order to fulfill biblical prophecy. And this is how God worked behind the scenes in this case. He did something that he does often. God moves the heart of people. He hardens their hearts or softens their heart according to his own purpose. And why does God move the heart of every president, every mayor, every governor, every civil leader in history? I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible explains that in Proverbs 21 verse 1, which reads this. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So obviously the conclusion here, church, is this. God is in control. The people are not in control of Christ's crucifixion. The Sanhedrin is not in control. The Romans are not in control. Pilate is not in control. God is in control. Working behind the scenes providentially to fulfill his purposes here. So the lesson obviously for us 
is that God's providence, through the consent of a feeble politician here, teaches us that the Lord will continue to harden and soften hearts according to His sovereignty to accomplish His purposes without eliminating human responsibility. Consider this, therefore, when you're tempted to despair about the political situation of our country. God will continue to glorify Himself in the lives of corrupt politicians, whether in their salvation or in their judgment. God is glorified when someone is saved because His grace is on display. Likewise, He's glorified when people are judged because His holiness is on display. So He's in control. Now, after the courage of a true believer and the consent of a feeble politician, I want you to see, number three, God's providence through the care of a generous disciple, verses 59 through 60. Now, I want you to see here more fulfilled prophecy here because the burial of Christ fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53, verse 9, which reads, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Again, this shows us that the Bible is totally trustworthy. Because we see God working behind the scenes to make sure that prophecy is fulfilled. But here's something else I want you to see. The Jews didn't have the custom of embalming corpses. That's one of the reasons that Matthew tells us that Joseph wrapped the body of Jesus in linen cloth. It was his act of dignifying the deceased. He loved his Lord so much that he wanted to give a dignified burial to his Lord. That's also the reason why the women prepare spices to mask the stench of death. And in this case, the body of Jesus didn't even start to decompose. We know that because Acts 2 verse 27 says that his body never saw corruption. In other words, it didn't decompose. Now, all of that tells us, church, that nobody expected a resurrection. Is that clear? None of the people expected a resurrection. Even though Jesus told them, I would raise from the dead on the third day, he was very specific about that. So it's obvious that people here didn't think he was serious or they thought that maybe he didn't mean a literal resurrection. Perhaps this is a metaphorical way of describing something. So maybe the people, the disciples even, spiritualized, oh, this is probably a spiritual resurrection, but not a bodily resurrection. Look at verse 60. Joseph's new tomb cost him a lot of money. Now, he may not have fully understood Christ's resurrection, just like the other disciples, but his love for his Savior was so intense that he spared no resources to honor his memory. And that's the lesson here. He becomes the example of excellent service. He refused to give Christ second best. He rejected the thought process that says, anything for God is good enough. I'll just devote 80% of my life, and that should be fine. Mediocrity is okay. Try that in any area of life and tell me if that works. Or the thought process that expresses, I am glad to receive forgiveness, but don't ask me to forgive others. I won't go there. That's not full devotion. Or the people who will say, He can have my heart, but not my Sunday mornings. That is asking too much. No, God is not interested in anything less than full devotion, church. That is very clear in the example of this man here. Therefore, the lesson is that divine providence through the care of a generous disciple teaches us that there is no such thing as costless service to God. Listen, salvation is free. It's a gift of God, the Bible says. But your faithfulness requires sacrifice, sacrifice of time, sacrifice of treasure even. You want to find out where your values are? You want to take inventory of your priorities? Do this. 
check your bank statement. It'll reveal to you what you value the most, where your money goes. And church, when you love the Lord like Joseph of Arimathea loved Christ, you acknowledge that God owns your resources and therefore you will allocate them generously and sacrificially in the service of the King of Kings. Likewise, you will reproduce Christ's love for His church in your giving and in your time, fully confident that He will care for every one of your needs. And because you love Christ like the generous disciple, you will honor Him who commanded, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Matthew 6, verse 33. And speaking of faithful servants... I want you to see the fourth instance here of the providence of God behind the scenes. The courage of a true believer, the consent of a feeble politician, the care of a generous disciple, and next, according to verse 61, the conduct of a loyal group. Once again, Matthew mentions the testimony of women, which would have no legal value in a court of law or any legal proceeding in those days, but not for God. You see, that's the point. For God, their testimony is valid. Not not only that, but they had witnessed the crucifixion, and now there were eyewitnesses of the burial of Christ, and they will be the first witnesses of the resurrection, not only of the empty tomb, but Jesus will appear to Mary Magdalene first before anyone else. That's next week. This means, church, that these women had active roles in the early Christian movement, not as pastors, not as elders. That's not their function, but as faithful servants. And consider their example. This is how they're serving the church, by being an example to all of us. The fact that these women never let Jesus out of their sight. And here's the lesson, church, very clearly. The conduct of this loyal group of women highlights their godliness. The Lord placed them there in the biblical record for us to follow their example. They never left Jesus. You see, they were forced to leave the gravesite because it was the Sabbath. But check this out, they were back first thing on Sunday, before dawn, bringing spices to anoint his body. In other words, they were eager to serve him. They couldn't wait to serve the Lord because they loved him so much. They ministered to him faithfully in life. Now they honor him in his death, and he rewarded them by showing up, the risen Lord showing up. These women, therefore, exemplify to us that life has no meaning apart from Christ. They are my heroes of the faith. Church, I want to be like these women here. Like them, I never want to desire to be anywhere but where Jesus is. I don't want to be away from Him. You put Him in a grave, I'm there. I want to be there. I want to be close to Him. In times of sorrow, I want to seek Him. And in seasons of joy, I want to serve Him, even if everybody else abandons the cause or drops out. Why? Because only He has words of eternal life. John 6, verse 68. I hope that's your desire too. Now, this scene showcases God's providence through the courage of a true believer, the consent of a feeble politician, the care of a generous disciple, and the conduct of a loyal group. Now, I want you to see, number five, the concern of a fearful organization, verses 62 through 65. The Sanhedrin, the political-slash-religious body of the Jews at that time, because of their rebellion of heart, the members of the Sanhedrin proposed a hypothesis to Pilate that actually lasted centuries after them. That somebody stole the body of Jesus. Think about the ridiculousness of that idea. That the disciples came somehow and overpowered the trained guards and removed the, the stone and broke the Roman seal, risking their own deaths and removed the body of Christ. 
Once again, the members of the Sanhedrin here are doing their thing. First, true to their unregenerate hearts, and in contrast to Joseph's kindness, they refer to Jesus by using a pejorative term. It's hard to imagine, church, anything more blasphemous than to call the one who is the truth the very opposite of his nature. Next, they once again pressure the governor to join their cause. Again, they are on Pilate's case here. They want him on their side. And they say, well, the, the, the second riots will be worse than the first if you don't do anything, Pilate. In other words, they're saying, Caesar will know. You don't want any riots here, Pilate, remember? Of course, they didn't say that. I'm paraphrasing it. But that's the idea. They're fear-mongering to pressure him to do what they want. And obviously, they wanted to ensure that their false assessment of Christ would stick. And that false assessment is that he was a fraud. And if he remained in that tomb, boy, their case would be vindicated. But they were terrified because they knew that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. Presumably, they all heard about Lazarus. So even though none of the disciples believed the resurrection, the Sanhedrin was terrified that perhaps he is right. Perhaps this man has the power to raise the dead because they saw all the miracles. They, they didn't ascribe the miracles to him. They couldn't deny the miracles. Their strategy, therefore, was to ascribe them to the devil. You remember that story. So they're doing everything they can, humanly, to prevent Jesus from leaving that tomb. And I want you to see that by reporting this interaction between Pilate and the Sanhedrin, Matthew informs us just that, that it was humanly impossible for the body of Jesus to leave that grave. You understand that? God providentially worked all of the details to make sure that it was impossible to remove the body of Jesus from that tomb, other than with the resurrection. Therefore, the lesson here is that the providence of God, through the concern of this fearful organization, teaches us that human cleverness can never outsmart God. Understand that? Human cleverness will never outsmart Him. He will accomplish His purpose even when evil people make bad choices. Remember, He moves the heart of people, although He's not responsible for their bad choices. We are called upon to make right choices. Decide today whom you will serve, we're told in the Bible, book of Joshua. Come to me, Jesus says. Those are decisions that we are expected to make, but none of our decisions will ever trump God's plan. We can never outsmart Him. So we should never worry that people's questionable decisions will frustrate his plans, even if those decisions are made by politicians. So we should never worry that people may legislate against our faith because Jesus promised, I will build my church. So let me show you the last instance of God's providence in this scene here. After the courage of a true believer, the consent of a feeble politician, the care of a generous disciple, the conduct of a loyal group, and the concern of a fearful organization. Now, God's providence through the condoning of a deceived governor. We'll finish with that. Verses 65 through 66. I want you to see Pilate's sarcasm here. Pilate is telling them, Really? You're afraid of a dead man? Sure. You have a guard. Use your guard. I'm not going to let you borrow my guards. You have a temple guard. Use them. Now, we know that Pilate is telling them to use the temple guard because these guys reported to the chief priests and the elders as soon as the seal was broken. So Pilate is saying, sure, make it as secure as you can. 
if you really believe that that man is going to raise from the dead or somebody is going to steal it, sure, you can, you can use a Roman seal. And by the way, letting them use a Roman seal would authenticate the burial of Christ and would warrant a severe punishment, possibly capital, for anyone who there broke that seal. The lesson here, church, is that divine providence through the condoning of a deceived governor teaches us, again, that only God could remove that stone that sealed Jesus' tomb. Not to let Jesus out, but to allow the world to see an empty tomb. That is the purpose. Why God made it impossible for anyone else to empty that tomb. Now, Pilate could have denied their request. He could have denied Joseph's request earlier in the scene here. But God moved the heart of this pagan governor to give ample evidence of a bodily, physical, literal resurrection. That's God's providence behind the scenes. Let me conclude with a final thought. If God can providentially orchestrate the details of the burial of Christ, moving people's heart to accomplish a greater need for you, namely your redemption, the fact that you can be born again by believing in Christ. If He took care of your greater eternal need, do you not think that He is able to take care providentially of your lesser temporal needs? The Bible is showing us He took care of your greater need. He will take care of your lesser temporal needs. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.